everyone, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everyone heals at a different pace and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Hello everybody, it's a beautiful day in paradise in South Florida. I like to tease my friends in Canada that today is actually a gorgeous sunny day. And I'm real excited today to have my guest, a special guest from Las Vegas, Nevada, Martha Hoy. Martha, are you there? I am here. How are you this morning? I'm great. And I'm really glad we woke Martha up early today. It's only six o'clock in Las Vegas. And I certainly appreciate her being here and her time. Um, there's so much to say about this woman. And it's really quite interesting because some of my guests, most of the guests I find, but Martha found me on a great website, Match FM, Match, Matchmaker FM, and, and it's fun. And she reached out, and I'm looking at her story thinking, hmm, this is interesting. I've done, you know, done a bunch of stories about domestic violence and things that have happened. And then I started to really look into Martha's story. And you know, I put out there that she ran for her life, and she literally did. She ran from what she was doing. Um, but this is an extraordinary woman, and she is a nurse by profession. She's an author by passion. She's a speaker and founder of the Mother Martha Foundation in Las Vegas, again another passion project, and a woman who is on a mission. And it's really interesting because I love stories where people have had something happen in their lives, a pain point, and have turned it into their passion. So Martha, welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up again. I'm really glad to have you here. You've had an extraordinary life. But what I like to do with my guests is go back to when you were young. Where did you grow up? Siblings, parents, you know, where? Kind of give us an idea of who you were before all this adventure started. Well, I grew up in West Virginia. My parents were both factory workers, and my grandparents had a farm. So, you know, it was a um, very um, humble life. Um, my father uh, was an alcoholic. I was married at, uh, in my early 20s and moved to the southern part of West Virginia, which is the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia. And you had a, do you have a brother? Did I hear that? I do have a brother, yes. Yes, I have an older brother. Yeah, there was, um, 
a big age gap between us, um, about 15 years. So we really didn't grow up together. Um, you know, by the time that um, I had, you know, he had graduated high school, you know, I was in kindergarten. So, you know, as I was growing he was, um, you know, he had moved on. And uh, so we really weren't that close. Well, that's a huge age difference and, and yeah. totally different ideas. When you were young, did you were you you know did you like sports? Did you like reading? What kind of stuff did you do? Because oh. West Virginia, those are fairly small towns that you grew up in. Yeah, my grandparents' farm um, is in a town that has never been bigger than eight hundred and fifty people. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So it's not a really the, you know I, I grew up in Fairmont, West Virginia. And, you know, I always say the only thing it's famous for is pepperoni rolls and Mary Lou Retton. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, reading was always my passion. Um, you know, I when everyone else was, you know, in the living room or dining room and they were talking and eating and all of those things, I was in my bedroom reading. I was always the reader, the writer. I was always kind of um, interested in many, many different subjects. Were you encouraged to write when you were young? No, I think I actually started it um, as an outlet, as a creative outlet. You know, some people draw, some people write, some people, you know. Um, and I think, you know, reading, then I just started doing it as a, as a creative outlet, you know, as a way to get my thoughts out, as a way to have a voice. Well, that's interesting. I, I did an interview the other day with a young girl. Her name is Avni, and Avni is 14 and started a nonprofit foundation called Heartification with an emphasis on art. And I actually, she's going to be one of my guests next month. She was darling, and when she was talking about art, she's got these beautiful paintings behind her. But she asked me, what's your definition of art? And I'm thinking, you know what? I can only draw stick figures, so art for me is not painting. But art has turned out to be music and writing. And I thought, when I, I saw you on a podcast, and it was all about the art of writing. And so I was curious if, if that you know, started when you were young or if that came later on out of your, out of your life, um, which does happen to many of us that are a little bit older. It's, we're writing about what happened in our life. So let's go back now. You've, you've grown up in, in small town West Virginia. You got married relatively early. And moved to to the city. Mm -hmm. Is that what what happened in the city? What happened with your life in the city? Because you went to school. You be you were in nursing school at this point, correct? Yes, I I um 2013. You know my life changed. You know I moved to Charleston and I you know I was newly married and I was going to nursing school, and I was working during the day, and you know life seemed. You know, like everything, you know, my future was so bright. I was young. I had a new life started. And, you know, I was going to nursing school, which nursing was always something that I wanted to do. And um, I was working during the day at a bank, and it was Friday evening. And on my way home, I was actually uh, rear-ended at a very high speed. So in a moment's notice, in just a second, my whole life had changed. I was a young woman whose future looked very bright to someone who couldn't move. I was in my hospital bed, you know, um, and the only view that I had of the world was the ceiling of my hospital room. 
In that accident, three people uh, did pass away. And after that, I had um, um, a city detective come to my room and tell me what had happened because, you know, I, I didn't remember anything. I'm just driving along. And I do remember hearing the sound um, of the impact and feeling it. And I was coming in about a consciousness. I do remember looking over and seeing a firefighter um, trying to open my door to get me out. So, you know, until I got to the hospital, everything is sort of, you know, just flashes of memory. Can you explain what happened, though? I mean, I, I can imagine that we can, when we're driving, I know I do, Sometimes I wonder, how did I get from here to the store? Because my mind is wandering and I, it's just routine. The drive is routine. Did you feel well, any impending, any, anything impending or just boom, it happened? No, just boom, it happened. I was, you know, it was a four-lane highway, one of the major highways in West Virginia. It goes north and south, I-79. And um, I was driving home in the far right-hand lane. And um, I remember feeling the impact, but then I was knocked unconscious. Hmm. And like I said, I was coming in about a consciousness, so I was sort of getting flashes of things, you know. Um, but really, I didn't come to until I was um, being offloaded uh, in the ambulance bay. Do they know I what happened know. to the driver or why they hit you? Well, we were in court for three and a half years. Um, okay. You know, so yes, um, they do know what happened. Um, it was a mother, a father, and a daughter that parish that hit me from behind and they they were uh, they passed away yeah and we're sorry that that um, you know they passed away that that's an unfortunate accident but that puts you in the hospital so I have yeah. a quick question here last week I had or two weeks ago I had a show where one of my friends sons had been in an accident and she never got a call from the hospital or the police did mm -hmm. Did the police call your family to let them know what had happened? Did they have any idea, or did you just end up in the hospital and you were there by yourself? No. Um, a very nice uh, bystander that had seen the accident, when they, when they I, I found this out later when it was all going to court, um, had got into my car when the firefighter, because they used the jaws of life to get me out, and I had mm -hmm. found out that a very nice uh, truck driver actually uh, had seen the accident and got into my purse and found my phone, because you know how we program in numbers, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had my then-husband in my phone. So he had called my uh, then-husband, to, and then when I got to the hospital, he was there. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, so a, then, that's a good Samaritan that many yeah, people wouldn't have done he, that. Yeah. Yeah, he actually uh, ended up testifying in court about what he's seen and, and what had happened. Yeah. Okay. So you end up in this accident, and I did hear on another podcast, though, that the car, was it an old car or a new car? Because the what happened? The bags didn't go off. The airbags didn't go off. My airbags did not go off in the car because when they hit me from behind, it. I was in the far right-hand lane, and we went, I went across all four lanes, and then the front of my car hit the concrete barrier in the middle. So the impact wouldn't have exploded the airbags? It did not. My airbags hmm. did not go off. So 
I didn't know it at the time when I was laying in the bed. I just knew that I couldn't move, and <laughs> a lot of things hurt. Um, but I had um, damage to the left side of my face because, you know, my face hit my driver's side door, and my my legs were uh, smashed underneath the dashboard where I was mm-hmm. hit really hard from behind. It, it uh, crumpled the back of my car and then trapped my legs underneath the dashboard. Well, you definitely had the angels watching over you that morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, I, my, I had a very good trauma surgeon, uh, very good doctors. One doctor, he and I are still friends. Um, he, all, he has mentioned in Lead With Your Heart, actually, the first book that I wrote that talks about this time in my life. And, um, you know, it was a long road to recovery. I had um, 15 surgeries. I heard the surgery, you said, talked about the surgery, I mean, we all think, because you were young, you were in your early 20s, beautiful young woman, and they didn't do the face first. No, my face surgery was actually, I waited six months. Well, I wanted Dr. Hans Lee, um, is one of the things, because I knew he was good, and my then husband had worked at, at that medical center for many, many years. And they needed to let some things heal. There were some surgeries that were more important, you know, um, and walking more important, right? So it was a long road to recovery. And I always say that, you know, I literally lost myself Mm -hmm. because when I started to be able to get out of bed and the nurse took me into the bathroom, I remember going past the mirror and you could tell that she didn't want me to look in the mirror, but I caught a glimpse of myself. And I couldn't recognize myself. Um, the left, the right side of my face wasn't really that damaged, but it was the left side. My whole thing and what kept me going and what was my motivation at that point was I wanted to be a nurse. That's what I started and that's what I was going to finish. So, you know, I'm not going to say that I popped up the next day. Like I said, it took about a year for me to recover. And I had a friend who came to my bedside, and she said, Martha, I can see this going one of two ways. Either you're going to play the victim, and this is all you're ever going to do, or you're going to do something with this. You know, everyone else is saying, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? Not my friend Sylvia. She was one of those, um, she was um, um, a kind of a mentor to me, not just a friend. So she said, I'm going to send you a book. She sent me a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a man who survived, not only survived one of the worst concentration camps of World War II, he thrived afterwards. And in reading that book, it kind of changed my mindset a bit. And what she had said to me that day So I was determined that I was going to do whatever it took to finish nursing school. And I did. I graduated from the University of Charleston in 2005. Did you have the naysayers going along there, though? Well, of course. I mean, there's naysayers and critics all the time. You know, no matter what you do in life, no matter how much you try not to, you know, ruffle feathers, there's always going to be critics. And I always say ignore the critics because they're like barking dogs. 
at the end of a short leash. <laughs> They're going to make a whole lot of noise, but not much else. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, you have those people, um, but that didn't stop me. So two years later, May of 2005, I graduated from nursing school. And then um, a few weeks later, I got a job at the same medical center in which they had saved my life. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's definitely paying it forward. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. And such, I'm sure such gratitude, too, on your part, but also from the nurses that might have helped you, how exciting to actually see the, you know, the fruits of your labor, basically. Right. Because a lot of times when people go in the hospital, you know, they hope never to go back. And you were there shining, a shining example of, of what their care had done. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. And, um, but it was a slow road. And sure. I remember I heard you saying one time that, you know, you set your goals, but it was one small step at a time, like tomorrow I'm going to take one step towards the mailbox. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day, take two more steps or even one more step. As long as you're doing more than you did before, you're mm-hmm. still going forward. So it, it would have been easy to be in that victim mentality, though. I sure. mean, I work with, I work with a, lot of, a lot of people who have been taken financially, and they, they are, they're in that victim position for a long time until they decide that, okay, I've had enough. If they don't, then it's very difficult to recover. Would that have been the same situation for you for HealthWise? Sure. Like I said, my friend came to me, you know, as I was in the hospital, and she was like, well, you know, what are you going to do with this, Martha? Are you going to sit here and this is all you're going to do? Or are you going to do something with it? And did you ever, were you ever sad about the way, you know, that your, your body and your face had changed? At one point, did, where was the catalyst in that mental thought? Uh, well, definitely the book, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, because... You know, I read that in one setting because, you know, I mean, it's very gripping. And after I put the book down, because I picked it up and it was daylight and I put it down, you know, and it was dark. And I had always been a reader anyway. And I was recovering. So, you know, it's not like I could walk around. It's not like, you know. And um, that, that was a, that's, when the, that's when it all changed for me. Because I thought, if this man can live through this, and still come out and help other people uh, and do the things that he did, then what am I complaining about? You know, it kind of changed my perception in many ways because Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if he can do that, I can do this, right? So that's that's kind of, um, that's why I always say that the car accident was the catalyst that, that started everything that changed my, kind of woke me up in life. Well, and I heard, I heard you call it too, it was the beauty of the trauma. It opened up your vision. Absolutely. And I, I thought that was, that was lovely. I mean, it's, it's true because we can get stuck in what happens to us or we can, you know, take it forward and, and make something out of it. And like, and you said that was your wake up call. Um, yeah. When you were in the hospital, it was relatively short as far as the was, uh, yeah. recovery. Right. The you know, right afterwards. I wasn't in the hospital that long. You know, um they came you know, my trauma surgeons came to me and they were like, Well we have a lot of work to do but you know, we had to, they have we had to let some things heal, we had to, you know, prioritize what needed to come first. So I knew that the road to recovery was not going to be easy. Mhm. Where was your family in all of this? My family was 
lived uh, about a two-hour drive away. Okay. Um, I have to say, at that time, that they were um, they were supportive. Okay, new husband. No, he was there for me. He was a he's a hardworking man. I always had my medical needs met. You know, medications, surgeries. He was there for it all. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I always say he was a good man in a lot of ways, but he was not in others. Mm. You know, my physical needs were met, but that's all I can say. Okay. And this is an emotionally, this is an emotional adventure, though. Definitely. So you, did you feel alone in this, or did you have a friend that oh. might have been there? Um, well, you know, as I, as I was recovering, yes. It, it's, uh, you know, because I was home alone. Um, a lot, uh, you know, getting myself to physical therapy sometimes. So, yes, was did I feel alone in it? Yes. Um, I say this was a time when I went back to, you know, going into books and reading and writing. Um, you know, through books, we can have the greatest mentors that ever lived on this planet right mm-hmm. there with us. But as time went on, you know, and I recovered, I did meet a young man who became one of my good friends, um, a young man in Uganda. He was an orphan in an orphanage called Balamu Children's Village in Kapali, Uganda, and his name is Jeffrey Mogisha. What was it called again? He was in a place called Balamu Children's Village. Okay. How did you, you meet know, Jeffrey? I met Jeffrey because a friend of mine had adopted a young man from that orphanage named Ivan. And Jeffrey is Ivan's brother. And um, I met Jeffrey and we started talking. And it was sort of like a mother-son, maybe a mentor uh, relationship. We had a lot of things in common. We both like to read. We both like different subjects. We like to learn. He had lost his parents, so we met at a time when we both were, I guess, you know, we needed a, a friend. We needed someone to talk to, and we needed someone to be there for each other. And what ultimately happened was that we ended up, from that relationship, from that friendship, you know, two charitable organizations were formed ultimately in the end but well I find that incredible because we haven't told the story you you met Jeffrey online you had never met Jeffrey in person I had never met him in person no but my friend um, like I said my friend in Minnesota knew his brother uh, adopted his brother adopted his brother United States yes he was brought to the United she adopted him in 2015 and brought him to the United States. Okay, so uh, the, where, where I'm going here, because when I heard this story initially, I'm like, oh my gosh, of course, you know, I don't, you may not know my story, but mine was an online romance that went sour after two years and was very expensive. And as I was listening to your story and how you met um, Jeffrey online, I'm thinking, ding, 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 you know. But Jeffrey was a real person. Yeah, he's a real person. We've met, we've, you know, done these things together. So yeah, he's a real person. Okay. And Jeffrey never portrayed himself as other than Jeffrey. He was a young man in Uganda. 
He was a young okay. man in Uganda living in the orphanage. Yes. So, and I knew who I was talking to. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't just talking to some random, you know. So I knew he was a real person. I knew the people around him. I knew, you know, like I said, his brother um, had been adopted by my friend. So what really, this, the next catalyst in my life was in 2018. It was Mother's Day, May 13, 2018. Um, this is where lead with your heart ends because I talk about all of those things up to this point of my life in that book. You know, my home life had really, uh, as time went on, had gotten, you know, more toxic, more unbearable. I look back at pictures of myself from that time and I don't even recognize myself. So, you know, when people say, you know, how could you you know, be friends with someone far away. Well, honey, the people that were next to me, you know, were not treating me well. Mm -hmm. So I knew that things were possibly going to get to the point that it did because I packed a suitcase and I put it in my closet at the foot of my bed. That was probably January of 2018. So on Mother's Day, I'm in my room, and I'm in my pajamas, and I'm sitting with my dog on my bed, and we're watching TV, and I'm just having, you know, like you do, a leisurely evening. And my then-husband entered the room, and when he did, I knew that this interaction was not going to end well. I knew it. And I don't like to talk about details, because really my story is not about what someone did to me. It's about what I did with those things. So I grabbed a suitcase at the end of my, in my closet at the edge of my bed. There was a struggle. We went down the hallway. I went to the front, we went to the front porch. I knew I had to leave. Staying was not an option. Not one that I was willing to take. At the end of that porch, a front porch, it was like I looked at him, and it was like a moment that I took my power back. Mm. And I looked at him, and I said, you will never see my face again. And I got in my car, put the suitcase in my car, and I was crying, and I was frightened. I was afraid, and, and I just drove. I didn't know where I was going. I just knew I couldn't stay. Now, at that point, everyone in my life, had turned away from me. That support that I had once had was not there. You know, I had reached out to tell people what, what was going on in my home, how I was living, and I don't know why, but I had nowhere to go. I had no one to turn to. There was, so what I did was I, I drove until I felt safe at a pullover. On that same highway that I had had that accident on, I-79. So I just started driving north. I didn't know who to turn to. So when I pulled over, I thought, what, who is the one person on this planet that had never, ever turned their back on me that I could always count on? And that was Jeffrey. But Jeffrey was 7,000 miles away in Uganda, and I was in West Virginia. <laughs> But that's who I called because I knew I could trust him. And he said, Martha, go to my brother Ivan in Minnesota. 
He said, Martha, you helped me do so much. Go to my brother. He will help keep you safe. So I, my next goal was to find some place to stay until I can get a plane ticket to Minneapolis. A friend of mine was packing her things to move to Las Vegas. She was living in Fairmont, West Virginia. That's my hometown. And she said, come help me pack, Martha. We can have a girls' weekend. You can come. I knew I was safe with her. We had went to high school together. We had known each other for years. And during that time, we scraped together the money, and I got a plane ticket to Minneapolis, Minnesota. When I got on that airplane in Charleston, West Virginia, and I looked out at the sky and the clouds when it, the plane took off, it was like another moment that I realized how toxic my life had become. And at that moment, I felt so free. I, I was, it, was, it, it was like I felt like I was breaking chains that were around me, you know. I got to Minneapolis. At that moment, I realized that I was in a place that I had never been, and I was waiting for people that I had never met to pick me up. And when you have no choice of turning back, you take the chance. I knew my friend Tracy, and I knew she was reliable. I knew she was a good person. She has a good family. And if she said that Ivan, this is Jeffrey's brother, was reliable and would take care of me and I could go to his home and be safe, then I knew I would be. So I'm sitting in the airport and I have a picture of a young man on my phone and I'm looking around, I'm looking for this face and I'm looking around. And when I saw him and I saw his smile, I knew who he was instantly because he looked just like Jeffrey's smile. I knew that was him. So with just that one belonging, I still had had that suitcase with, with a few personal items in it. You know, he loaded it in his car and I we got in the car it was awkward, of course, because now I was going to live somewhere with this person that I didn't even know. <laughs> and I said, Ivan, what's next? And I was thinking about food because that's what I'm usually thinking about. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he, he, he's, a, he's a young man, you know, early 20s, and he said something very profound. I didn't expect the answer that I got because you know, he said, now, Martha, we live. <laughs> so... You know, that's when I realized he's right. Now we live. I had spent so much of my life stuck in these circumstances. So much of that time I had forgotten to truly live, to enjoy the things that that are around me. So I spent four months in Minneapolis, um, a little town outside of Minneapolis called Blaine. Um, It's a beautiful place. Um, the people are so, I always say it's so cold in Minnesota, but the people are so warm and friendly. Um, it was a great place to heal. You know, physical wounds heal quicker than emotional and mental. Mm-hmm. But those four months were great. I, I, I turned out that Ivan had a roommate named Joe, and Joe is from Rwanda. And I never knew when I met these young men how important they would be in my life. But... They kept me safe. I got a divorce. And how I got a divorce is I got a divorce over the telephone. I clocked out for lunch. I found a nursing job, which was, you know, as a nurse, I didn't have any problem doing that. I clocked out for lunch at my nursing job, got a divorce over the telephone, and then hung up and clocked back in, a single lady. So after four months with Ivan and Joe, 
I decided that my friend that had moved to Las Vegas called me, and she says, Martha, you're healed now. You're doing so much better. I think that you could probably, you know, stand on your own. You should come out here, and we could, you know, be two single ladies, you know, living off the Las Vegas Strip, and we could, you know, restart our lives, you know, with a redo. And it sounded great to me, you know, as I said, I loved Minnesota, but I always make the joke that I moved from the most boring place on the planet to the most exciting, but that's a joke, because I do, I do. (laughs) I, I love my Minnesota family, trust me, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. You know, I packed up that suitcase, you know, the one thing that I only had, you know, and, and moved to Las Vegas. And at that moment, I, I'll never forget the first time that, the moment that I drove down the Las Vegas Strip for the first time. You know, the bright lights and seeing the people and the tourists and everyone's having fun. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, now my life is like a book full of empty pages. Now I can make it look like whatever I want it to look like, you know. Um, it was a very exciting time. So when I got here, that's when I decided that I was going to start Mother Martha Family Foundation in Las Vegas. With the goal is, is that I wanted to give back to these children, to these young people, I wanted to ensure that the work that was being done in Uganda, through, especially through Balamo Children's Village, that it continues. Because of the morals and values that they had gotten, the, the great foundation that they had gotten in the orphanage, these young men were brave enough to step up for me. And I wanted to ensure that that continued. So what does the Mother Martha Family Foundation in Las Vegas do? Well, right now, um, with my book that just came out, we're going to start raising funds. As I said, we want to ensure, first of all, that the Lamo Children's Village continues to operate. So, you know, right now there are 484 children there. And, uh, you know, they all need to go to school. They all need to eat. They all need to So that is the major goal there. Well, I've got to take a second here because I, I firmly believe that people come into our lives for a reason and a season. And when I was listening to uh, doing my homework on you and listening to another um, interview that you did, you were talking about your foundation and the things that you were doing. Well, I have a friend, uh, a dear friend, who unfortunately passed away a couple weeks ago. Her name is Marty Ward. And Marty uh, was from Melbourne, Florida. And I sent you this information. I want you to look this up. Marty had an organization called Confidence Build Success Academy.com slash Africa. Marty was dealing with an organization um, and a pastor in Uganda named Booney Alex. And she had gone over to Africa to speak to the children about confidence building and an anti-bullying program. And when Marty passed a couple weeks ago, I'm thinking, what's going to happen to her organization and the success that she's having over there? And, you know, sometimes we just meet people at the right time to connect. Mm -hmm. And I really think that I'm going to introduce you to her organization 
because she's dealt with tens of thousands of kids over there. She was over there and mm -hmm. was teaching them about TAGS, which is Talents, Abilities, and Gifts, and was trying to help change the family, the way they spoke to their children and the way they you know, treated the children um, in, in a more positive way, teach the children about not bullying each other and not being bullied by families. And, and in the process of all this, you know, we were able to, I have been able, personally been able to sponsor a young woman who's going to school because I realized that if you don't pay, you don't go to school. And yeah, you don't go to school, yeah. You don't go to school and you could be, you know, really young and you might go to school one day and if you're not paid the next year, you're not in school anymore. And Marty was doing, you know, water filters because water is dirty and they, these kids sure. weren't drinking fresh water. And I'm thinking, sure. oh my gosh, I need to get Martha together with whoever's doing Marty's organization to get with Booney. And another friend of mine is Dr. Clyde Rivers. Clyde uh, is the founder of I Change Nations, does extraordinary work over in Africa, in Uganda, in Burundi, and other places. And then another friend of mine, Christina Stewart, who's here in Florida, a member of Women's Prosperity Network, she was the photographer that went with Marty on these adventures over there. And thinking, these folks could get together and just, I mean, you're doing such amazing work that you need to collaborate and not do this alone. So I was thinking about Marty this morning because, you know, last two weeks ago I said Marty was in the hospital. Last week on my show, Marty had passed away. And I'm thinking, this week, now I've got someone that's, just so entrenched in Uganda and the same, I could feel Marty's passion when I listened to you talk about Uganda and what you're doing over there and the kids. I'm thinking, there is a reason that all these folks have come into my life and thank you for what you're doing over there. Now, some people would say, we have kids in America that are having problems. What drew you to working with the kids over there other than Jeffrey well, and Ivan? Well, you know, because of what because of what they had done for me. And, you know, when I was getting to know Jeffrey, I got to learn about his country and his life and how, you know, because from the outside looking in, we were two different people, right? We were from different cultures, different continents, different everything. But really, you know, we're all more alike than different. People mm -hmm. spend too much time pointing out differences, which cause separation, you know. So when I, you know, made that connection, we made that connection with each other during times of our lives when we both really needed someone. I, I got to learn about the country and the people. And um, so that's why I was drawn to it, um, because... You know, I really, really got to, to know the people and love the people now. Thank you for what you're doing. And, you know, it really comes down to trust. And for the, a lot of the folks that I've dealt with who have been taken by people in Nigeria and in countries in Ghana and whatever, and, you know, we, we look at those countries and say, ah, there's a bunch of scammers over there. And I'm thinking, well, no, there are. And there are a lot of scammers in the United States and in every country in the world, but there is good over there. And I've worked with a girl, Confidence Shavely. Confidence has a foundation over there in Nigeria against scammers in Nigeria. And she's Nigerian, and she's like, Dad, this is a beautiful country. It's like there's bad people everywhere in beautiful countries. And I'm looking at the pictures of Marty, my friend in Uganda, and the children, and they're just so, they're, you can feel their spirit. And I think that's yeah. the thing. We need to connect yeah. by the, with spirit. And, and trust, and you certainly were brave and trusted Ivan 
<laughs> to get in a car with a complete stranger. In my life. And um, there, there's a huge need there. I mean, it's a, it's a country of 40 million people, and they have 2.5 million orphans, many of them homeless. And um, when, I, when I got to Las Vegas and I started this foundation, and I said, you know, I was sitting one evening and I thought, you know, I have been held down. I have, you know, because when you're in an abusive situation, you, you're told who you are. You're told what you're going to do. You're told what you're going to wear. You're, you know, so I really had, I was, it was a fresh start for me, but I really was sort of, it was sort of, as I said, my life was an open book and the pages were blank. But it was, it was kind of a time of self-discovery for me. So what I did was I picked up some extra shifts and I saved some money and I decided to go on a journey of self-discovery. I made a list. I guess some people would call it a bucket list. I Mm -hmm. didn't call it that. And what I decided to do was, first of all, my goal was to go to Uganda and hug Jeffrey because he and I had never met face-to-face. And he was one of the people who, like I said, I had helped him start a foundation, and he had helped save my life. So I wanted to to wrap my arms around him and thank him for what he had did for me. So I um, packed my bags, and this was 2019. And um, I, with that suitcase, the suitcase that I have been, <laughs> it's been on quite the an infamous. adventure. It's been quite an adventure. And I, uh, I decided, first of all, I was going to New York City because it's New York, and I wanted to eat the best pizza on the planet. And I'm known for my love of pizza and Coca-Cola. <laughs> okay. So this, this part of my story is in the book, Enjoy the Journey. So um, New York City, I wanted to see some sights. And, um, you know, I'd been before, but it was time to go back. And I pizza and Coca-Cola. So after New York City... I went to Paris, France, and I wanted to stand at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower. Um, I always say the most beautiful sunsets that I've ever seen in my life were in Paris, France. Mm. From there, I went into Dubai. I have a friend uh, that lives in Dubai, and um, he and I had met through, you know, working, uh, starting this organization in Uganda. And he also works with children. He's from Uganda. So I spent some time in the Middle East with him, and I write about those adventures in my, in my book, Enjoy the Journey. So then I went into Uganda. I did get to hug Jeffrey uh, right after I got off the plane at uh, ITB International Airport. I got to meet all of the people at Amica Foundation Africa. You know, I had helped changed the lives of these people that I had never met, and it was mm. quite emotional. Um, I swear, I, I got wet in the River Nile, Nile River, which I didn't intend. Jeffrey fell in. So that story is, um, I, you know, Jeffrey fell in the Nile River, and we all went after him. So um, the people that I met during that day um, have now become a part of my family, um, that part is the part that people are usually interested in because I, I, toured the, I toured the palace of the first president of Uganda, Edward Mutiza. I actually ended up dating his grandson. You have to yeah, that it. was my next question. I, I read yeah. that you had dated a Ugandan prince. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, um, uh, that was, uh, I, had a, I got to do some really amazing things on that trip. So then um, my next stop after Uganda um, I got. I went to uh, Milan, 
Italy again, pizza, and then I came home. So that's where Enjoy the Journey ends um, because after I got home from that trip, that's when the pandemic came, mm. and I'm a nurse. So that's when I went to work. I put on my nursing shoes, and I worked the pandemic. So a lot of the work in Uganda was, um, you know, some of it was became very challenging, of course. And, um, and that's where I'm writing my third book is about being a nurse during the pandemic. Been in touch with the folks in Uganda now. Has this has COVID? How has that affected your children over there? Oh, well, you know, it's um, you know, now people because now they're on a second lockdown there. Um, the strain from India has made its way into Uganda, mm-hmm. and it has greatly impact, impacted their uh, country. Not only are they dealing with COVID, but they're also dealing with political violence. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that I met along the way in my in the in this journey, uh, his name is Zake Francis, and he's a parliament member in Uganda. And since we met three years ago, he has been kidnapped and tortured twice. Oh. So you know, not only are they dealing with COVID, they're dealing with political violence. So the children are, are affected. Uh, you know, getting food to them and. Um, you know, they can't go to school. Of course, children here don't go to school. But, you know, like you said there, you know, there are no social programs there. School is not free. School is not free. But, you know, here your tax dollars pay for uh, education there. That is not true. You mm-hmm. know, parents or guardians have to pay for schooling. Mm-hmm. So everything that there was a challenge, you know, has become a bigger challenge. And with all of these things, now there are, uh, there are going to be more orphans from losing parents right. either to political violence or to COVID. Yeah, we, we, I go back to um, what you were saying about when you were lying in the hospital and all you could see was the ceiling. I think if you look at that as a metaphor for life, we're all so focused on what's right in front of us yeah. that we can't see what's around us and see the bigger picture. And I think that's what you're doing with your organization is you're trying to see the bigger picture. And and I thank you for that because many people don't take what happened to them. And and like you said, you could have been that victim. You could have been stayed in that victim mentality, but you, you rose out of that. You became a survivor, a thriver, and then you took your pain, made it into your passion with a little bit of trust in someone you didn't know, and are making a, a global impact. And thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for standing up and speaking up and telling your story. Because it could have been one of doom and gloom and woe is me, but it's turned out to be wow is me. <laughs> and I think it's cool. I really do. And, I, and when I you know, started putting together the people that I had met over the years that are involved in this kind of a thing, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to start writing a list. <sighs> of who I'm going to get you in touch with. Uh, We can't do it by ourselves. You know, the world's too big. We can't do it by ourselves. And collaboration is is so important. Um, I have friends at Women's Prosperity Network, and their word is coopetition. No no competition. It's coopetition. Work with each other. You know, these kids don't care where the food's coming from. They just need some food and some clean water. 
Uh, same with our kids here. They, they, you know, they want to be in school. They want to have healthy, healthy bodies. They want to have healthy minds and families that will take care of them. Uh, if that family happens to be 7,000 miles away, 10,000 miles away, so be it. But right. how can people get a hold of your books? Give us the names of the books again and where they can get them. Okay. Um, my first book is um, Lead With Your Heart. And the second book is called Enjoy the Journey. And you can find them on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. And a percentage of the profits of those are actually going to your foundation to help the children. Yes, they all of the proceeds go to help the children. Okay, perfect. And how can people get a hold of you? Do you have a website for the, for I the do, foundation? I um, do, org. Okay, well, I'll put that in the replay of this, org, and you're on all social media. I'm on all social media, yeah. Okay, well, I thank you for your story, for reaching out to me, and um, actually I wrote down here the name of your next book is going to be called The Suitcase and I. <laughs> <laughs> that suitcase could talk, it could tell one. Well, wouldn't that just be a really, that'd be a great children's book. <laughs> yeah, it really would. I think that would be lots of fun. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing for the organizations. Uh, I'm so grateful that you, you know, you made it through the accident and you got through and got past the, the naysayers and the people that say, don't, 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 don't tell me what I can't do, and that you did it, that you had that can-do attitude, and that you continue to have that can-do attitude. I think you're going to make great things happen around the world, and I really appreciate being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So again, another hour has flown by. I want to thank our guests, thank our listeners, and folks, go to Martha's organization, MarthaFamilyFoundation.org, and see what she's doing. Um, we're going to, I'll put some things up about Marty's organization, ConfidenceBuildsSuccessAcademy.com slash Africa, and, uh, and let's, Let's put ourselves out there a little bit and, and uh, you know, help, help one person around the world. So thanks, everybody, for being here, for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. This episode has been sponsored by BenfaComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, folks, thanks so much for being here. Go to my website, TheWomanBehindTheSmile.com, for additional information and resources. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Watch this show on replay. Pass it around. Share it with your friends. We've got to help the kids around the world, and we thank Martha for doing so. Have a great day, everybody, and thank you for being my guest.